Continuing with Colossians, I'm reading verses 1 from 24 to 2 verse 5. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For although I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, friends, it is uh, great to come under God's word again, isn't it? If you have the Bible that you were handed on the way in, if you did take a Bible, you'll have a um, little bookmark there that will show you where we're up to in the, uh, in the Bible in Colossians. You know, if you also have a handout, that'll uh, help you as we journey through this passage as well. But last week, if you were here last week, I feel like I'm booming. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't wanna, well, maybe that's good. It'll... Sort of liven the place up a bit, hey? Last week, um, we, did, we looked, if you were here last week, uh, we looked at the gospel of self-belief, the, sort of the, the gospel that's in the culture around us, the gospel of believing in yourself. And last week we saw how the gospel about Jesus gives us something so much richer and more eternal and lasting than that gospel, so much more liberating and friends, closely connected to this question of uh, what you believe in, what you place your trust in, what your gospel is, closely connected to that question, I think is, this, is the issue of ambition, what your goals are in life, what you're striving for. Uh, if you've ever been to a gym, you're probably familiar with these uh, motivational posters that get put up around the walls. I think there's one coming up uh, behind me. Inspirational images with a cheesy catchphrase, to sort of spur you on in your quest to get buff. And uh, I know many, many, many of us frequent the, the gym and the weights room. Um, uh, not me, sorry. Uh, but you, you may be familiar with these sort of uh, motivational posters. This one says, if you can't read it, it says, ambition... Oh, wait, go back one. You, you spoiled my punchline. Go back one. Ambition, aspire to climb as high as you can dream. Okay, sort of really great posters to spur you on. Uh, um, perhaps uh, you're more a fan of the... There's a website called Demotivational Posters. So go to the next one. This is a Demotivational Posters poster. It says, ambition... Here we go. Can we click on to the next one? 
The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. <laughs> anyway, uh, but having said all of that, there is something there, though, isn't there, about this idea of ambition. There's something about having an ambition that can be really powerful. You, hear, you do hear these amazing stories, don't you, of uh, medical stories of people who recover from irrecoverable um, diseases simply because they had uh, a, a sort of relentless pursuit of their goal to get better. Um, but on the other hand, for all the good that ambition can achieve, it can be just as powerful on the other side of things, can't it? I mean, history is littered with highly motivated and ambitious dictators and tyrants and murderers, <laughs> uh, people who, call, who have great dreams and cause great evil. Uh, and what's more, I mean, going deeper than that, this sort of bad side of ambition, it's all around us, perhaps even in us. You know, the, the, uh, the ambitious CEO who leaves a trail of misery in their wake, uh, the parent who, whose ambitions at work uh, leave their family behind. Uh, you know, the list goes on, right? Uh, our ambitions can cause just as much pain uh, as they can good. Uh, and if you are really, uh, so the ambition has sort of this good side, the bad side, it can also be, have an ugly side to it. It's neither sort of good or bad, it's just ugly. It's when your expectations just don't match up to the reality. And you see this all the time. I mentioned last week, I have had dark periods of my life where I have watched reality TV shows. Uh, and if you want to see ambition gone ugly, there's no better place than to watch one of the the... the auditions for these shows, right? You, you know, people who have this great ambition to be the world's best dancer when they have, you know, about as, about as good as a dancer as I am. It's not very good. It's ugly to watch. Uh, and there's nothing sort of, you know, morally bad about it. It's just uh, this mismatch between your ambition and the reality and you know it's going to lead to resentment and disappointment and anger and bitterness well, friends, uh, Paul here in Colossians, uh, he fills in for us what is at his very heart, what, what is at his core as someone who has been gripped by the gospel of Jesus. He writes, he's just written so wonderfully about this gospel, about Jesus, the Lord of all creation, uh, and that that was given to the Colossians to reconcile them to God. But here he turns and sort of reflects for a little while about how this gospel has impacted him and has shaped him personally, his ambitions, his goals and dreams. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at Paul's ambition, uh, what drove him, what kept it from being bad or ugly but made it not only good, friends, um, but wonderful, excellent, the best, the sort of ambition that gave him goals and aspirations for things that would last forever. Things that would last forever. It is a complex little passage. You might have noticed that as we read through. And we won't touch on all the thorny issues and details on the way through. We're really happy to chat about that afterwards. But while there is some complexity to how it's sort of structured together, I think what Paul is getting at at its heart here is crystal clear, actually. It's crystal clear. If you have your Bibles open, we'll, we'll, work, we'll sort of be um, travelling through the passage. I'd normally just uh, travel through 
uh, sort of verse by verse, but this time we're going to take things on slightly different routes uh, and uh, pick out some main themes from this passage. You see, the answer to Paul's ambition, this question of what drove Paul, what was, what was in his heart and sort of burning him onwards? <laughs> what was it that drove him? The answer is surprising because it's really so simple. He can capture it in one little word in verse 28 there. Verse 28 reads, He is the one we proclaim. Or another version, simply, We proclaim him. We proclaim him. What's Paul's ambition? It's him. Him. That's it. You don't need a PhD to get it. Anyone from a toddler... (laughs) to a, someone with a profound intellectual disability can understand it because it's not a piece of information or a philosophy, this goal of Paul's, this thing that drives him, it's a person, him. And if you've been with us the last few weeks or if you've read up to this point in Colossians before, of course, you know, you, you're under no doubt at all who he is, who this him is. He's the one Paul's been really... Uh, captivated by, obsessed with the the supreme Lord and King of everything. He is the Christ, the hope of glory, Jesus. And what burns within Paul's heart, the fire that is driving him, is to proclaim him, to proclaim him. That's his goal. But he, Paul, for Paul, this goal has a very specific result. He, he expects it to do something, this proclaiming of Jesus, proclaiming uh, the gospel of Jesus. He has a very specific result. In verse 28, you can read it there, what he longs for, what he warns and teaches and works for is to see, and we had that great illustration of it uh, in the kids' talk, to see all people growing to maturity in Christ. I mean, talk about ambition, right? All, did you notice the repeated all, everyone, every, all? (laughs) All people, everyone, fully mature in Christ. Sort of, Paul goes over the top to just lay out this incredible ambition of his, to see everyone fully mature in Christ. What does this maturity look like? Well, uh, if you, hopefully you can um, stick around for the next few weeks as we continue to travel through Paul's letter and we'll read more and more of what Paul feels out to be, what, what, what is this maturity, what uh, it looks like to be this kind of a Christian that Paul longs to see the Colossians as. But here uh, there's an important summary and it's down in chapter 2, verse 2. We read it. And Paul kind of fills out what this maturity, what this mature life looks like. He says, his purpose is that they, the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and he says, all who haven't met me personally, they might be encouraged in heart, united in love, to have the full riches of complete understanding in order to know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does this person growing in maturity look like? Well, Paul brings out three really important things. Friends, he says that he, his goal for them, what he expects for them, is to have their hearts encouraged. You see, Paul knows 
that it is hard to grow when your heart is discouraged, (laughs) when it is weighed down or embittered or broken by the disappointments of life. And Paul wants to see their hearts encouraged, built up, made courageous, made fearless and brave. But the key question for us is how? How how, how does Paul expect this to happen? How do hearts become encouraged? It's not in this passage by a pat on the back, and you'll be not surprised to hear me say, not by saying, just believe in yourself. (laughs) Paul expects very specifically... Paul expects that it is the proclaiming of Jesus that will encourage your heart. We proclaim him so that your hearts may be encouraged. The answer to a discouraged heart is to keep coming back again and again to Jesus. To keep remembering that he is the Lord of everything who died for you because he loves you. To keep finding your meaning and significance in him. In him, friends, life is not bitter. It is sweet. In him, we know that while everything might be against us, God is for us. And that's what growing as a Christian is about. Letting your heart be more and more encouraged by the proclaiming of this great, amazing news of Jesus. But for Paul, you notice this, maturity never happens in a vacuum. <laughs> okay? it's not, uh, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Proclaiming Jesus, the next thing that he says, he says their hearts will be encouraged. That's what he wants. He wants them to be united in love. See, there's no such thing for Paul as a solo Christian. You can't have one without the, but the other, you see. Uh, Jesus is head of a body. Jesus is the head of a body, and if you're in Jesus, you're already a member of that body. Growing in him means growing in your love for that body. It means loving them like Jesus loves them, self-sacrificially from the heart. Friends, that's how you grow as a Christian. Hearts encouraged, united in love. And the third thing has to do with our mind. Paul says he does want us to have the full riches of complete understanding so that we might know Christ. It's, not, it's important to say here, this isn't, as we sort of flagged earlier, it's not some advanced knowledge. It's not something you need to go to theological college for. It's pos- entirely possible to go to theological college and not grow in this kind of knowledge whatsoever. Paul does call it a mystery. Did you notice that? He does call it a mystery through this passage. But the whole point of saying that is to highlight that this mystery, what was mysterious, is now revealed and open and plain. It's revealed to the saints in in 126, back earlier in this passage, revealed to everyone who follows Jesus. It is a mystery, but not because it's sort of complex and hard to understand intellectually. It's a mystery because it has to do with the way God relates to his world Uh, And how, friends, could it be anything other than a mystery if God is God and we are not? If God is God and we are not, how, of course, his ways are a mystery. Not only that, we read last week that in ourselves we are in active opposition to God. In ourselves we are his enemies. It is a mystery of us because the kind of extreme love 
and self-sacrifice and forgiveness that we see in Jesus, that kind of grace is just so contrary to our own self-centeredness and self-absorption. We might do something sacrificial for our friends, but Jesus gave his life for his enemies, those who hated him. It is a mystery to us in our sinfulness. It is not something that we could have come up with ourselves. But it is a mystery, friends, that has been revealed. It has been revealed. And those who trust in Jesus know this mystery as the wonderful and life-giving truth. Paul proclaims Jesus so that we would know this rich, glorious mystery and know it deeper and deeper, more and more through our whole lives. Well, uh, incredible insight, isn't it, into Paul's goal of seeing Jesus proclaimed with this this great goal of seeing all people brought to maturity in him, this kind of beautiful maturity of heart, encouraged hearts and a body united in love, growing in its knowledge of Christ, of him. Um, But you'll notice as you read through that for Paul there was a significant cost that went alongside it all. Verse 24 and 29, we read that Paul's work uh, was a suffering, a labour and a struggle. It came at great cost. And you know how strong your ambition is by how much you're willing to sacrifice for it, right? And how much you're willing to spend for it. Last year, the church I was helping to pastor up at Trinity Hills, uh, up in Orgade, uh, entered a team in an event called the Tough Mudder. Have you heard of this? Uh, team, uh, you probably haven't heard of it. It's a ridiculously hard uh, sort of race, an obstacle course, right? You sort of have to gear yourself up to crawl through mud. And, I don't know, they probably have razor wire everywhere and bombs going off and big walls to climb and sort of, uh, you know, for blokes to prove they're really blokes or something, I don't know. It, it's ridic- no, women, can, women did it as well, so sorry, that was a sexist remark. Uh, it is a ridiculously hard course, right? And this team from my church last year went in it and they, some of the guys spent, you know, the, a few months beforehand in strict training regimes to get ready for this incredibly hard race. Uh, going through pain and all for the great ambition, right? Their great ambition of crawling through mud and climbing over walls. Yeah. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Maybe one day I will. Uh, well, Fred's, <laughs> that's sort of suffering in a little way for an ambition, but Paul suffered in an extreme way for his great goal, what, he, what was burning and driving him, he suffered. When he wrote this letter, uh, he was in prison for proclaiming Christ Another letter in 2 Corinthians, he tells us of some of the ways he suffered. So get this, right? <laughs> he was in prison numerous times. He was severely flogged, beaten, exposed to death again and again, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, not just once, not just twice, but three times. He was constantly on the move, in danger. He laboured and toiled. He went without sleep, without food. He was cold and naked, all the while being concerned with all the new churches that were springing up all over the place. Right, that, I mean, forget about um, training for some random, that is suffering for an ambition. You can imagine, friends, that the pressure on Paul must have been extreme. The circumstances of his life were often really tragic, actually. 
not only this intense rejection and persecution, but the churches that he planted were so often a mess and full of incredible problems. It must have been so hard for him, it seems to me, to keep going in pursuing this ambition. In fact, it would have been impossible on his own. This discouragement, this opposition, the challenges were just too great. No person is up to that. (laughs) Uh, That's why Paul leaves us in no doubt about the power behind his ministry. And you read that in verse 29. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Did you get that? I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The only thing that kept him going was God's energy powerfully at work in him. It wasn't his effort, his strength, his cleverness. I mean, it's such a liberating thing to read that, isn't it? Uh, this, is what kept, this is what kept Paul's ambition from being ugly, you know, that sort of mismatch of what you're trying to do with the reality. <laughs> if it wasn't for this, it would have just been ugly. But this kept it from being that. He had God working in him. He kept him from being embittered by his failures or puffed up by his successes. It was God working. See, there's no place for self-pity and bitterness for Paul at his failures. God was working. And that was true whether uh, what it seems to be a failure or seemed to be a success for him. Uh, there was no place for pride. God was working. It wasn't him. He was labouring, yes, but it was God's strength in him. Paul could keep going, proclaiming Christ, working for this maturity of Christ's people no matter what. Well, uh, just quickly, there's there's a couple more things to pull out here. Uh, As you read through the passage and you've got your outline, you'll see it there. There was a threat, right? There was a threat to all this and you read it there in 2 verse 4. Fine-sounding arguments. Paul's gospel, we saw earlier, Paul's gospel was a mystery, right? It was something that just cuts against our, our nature. It was a mystery. It must have been so tempting to make this gospel about a crucified Lord, a crucified carpenter. It must have been so tempting to make it just, even just a little bit more impressive, you know. I'm not talking grand, you know, just a little bit more impressive. To use fine-sounding arguments to preach a Christ who was more socially acceptable. Uh, more, more like the great emperors of the day, right? If you're going to call anyone Lord of the Universe, you've got the Caesars to model on. Not uh, can you can you see this? Uh, the way that this cuts against so much of what is in our nature, it would have been so tempting for Paul to minimise the reality of God's wrath against evil and sin. And in friends, it's the same today. The same temptation threatens to take our eyes off the real Jesus. And it's through, it is through proclaiming him. Not the Jesus we make up, not the Jesus that's convenient to us. It is through proclaiming him, the Jesus that we find in the Bible, that we read of. It is through proclaiming him and having our hearts encouraged by him through loving his body through loving this body, 
not just in a sort of nebulous sense, but this body that you are a part of, our church, through knowing him more and more deeply and deeply, that we guard against this threat of fine-sounding arguments. Well, one last thing, friends, and I don't want to skip over this because it's so important. It's about Paul's attitude. He, you know, up to this point, everything's been pretty hard going, right? It's been pretty heavy. <laughs> and you can imagine... Uh, that uh, Paul, you know, if I was in his, in, in his shoes, I don't think I would have been very chipper through all of this. I'm not saying, you know, that's a bit of... <laughs> uh, but do, do you notice, I'm not saying Paul is chipper here necessarily, but uh, do you notice what's going on here throughout this passage? Uh, do you notice Paul's attitude through all of this is one of joy? One of joy it frames the whole passage. He starts with it, the incredible, uh, incredible verse. He says, he rejoices in his suffering, not because he's some kind of masochist right, who, who just likes pain himself, not because of that. Uh, he rejoices in it uh, because he knows that what he's suffering is helping to achieve his great ambition. His ambition of proclaiming Christ and seeing everyone mature in him. And you notice that the joy carries right through to the end of this passage. Right through the end in 2 verse 5, Paul delights. It's just the same idea. He rejoices to see how disciplined they are and how firm their faith is. Paul sees them in the maturity they have and he's full of joy. So, friends, Paul's service of Christ and of his body, despite all the... Uh, pressures on him despite all his suffering. Uh, Paul's service of Christ, his proclamation of Christ, wasn't a kind of, you know, grit your teeth and do your duty kind of thing. Uh, despite all of it, it, even through them, Paul can rejoice because he has settled in his heart this great goal of seeing Christ proclaimed and all people brought to maturity in him. Well, friends, I, I want to finish this morning just with um, a bit of an invitation to all of us, wherever we're at, wherever we have uh, many uh, of us in the room this morning, and all of us are at different points. Wherever you're at, I want to, I guess, extend a bit of an invitation to examine our own hearts, our own ambitions. Now, don't be put off by the word ambition, you know, it's sort of uh, potentially something that might be a bit off-putting. It's just, it's just another way of saying, what has captured your heart? <laughs> what is driving you? What is it uh, that you strive for? What, do you, uh, what captures your imagination? Uh, the deep desires that drive us and that we all have. Well, uh, friends, I think there is a couple of dangers uh, looking at this heart of Paul's ministry. We've focused on Paul and we've seen this incredible way that the gospel gripped him and, transformed and, and gave him this great heart and ambition and goal, um, the way that he was used by God to do that and gave, given power to do that. A couple of dangers before we finish up. I just want to to point out, to help us in this examining our own hearts and our own uh, loves and ambitions and desires. One, I think, danger 
uh, is to kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, that's great for Paul, (laughs) but uh, he was kind of expected to be full on for Jesus, right? He was an apostle. I'm just an ordinary Christian. (laughs) Or you could fill in that in a number of different ways. I'm just a... Whatever it is, a teenager. I'm just a, I'm just a dad. I'm just a whatever it is that you are. And there is, uh, there is something right, I think, about this concern, this sort of reluctance. Okay, you know, Paul's not giving an instruction here. He's not telling the Colossians to do something. In fact, the first time he does that in his whole letter are the next couple of verses. So come back next week, and we'll we'll look into that. He's not actually giving an instruction. He's describing his own life, his own ministry, the way he was gripped by the gospel. And as far as I'm aware, no one here is an apostle. Um, A few of us are proclaimers, but did you notice? I noticed a couple of things. Uh, Down in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes that he, he, he writes this for the Colossians, but he also writes it for all who have not met me personally. You get that? Paul's ambition, what he desired for this group of people in Colossae, what he expected to happen when he was proclaiming Christ, was for all who had not met him personally. So I take it if Paul was here today, he'd say the same thing for us. This This would be his ambition for me, for you, for us as a church family. He longed that through the proclaiming of Jesus we would come to maturity, that we'd have encouraged hearts, we would be united in love, that we would have a deep knowledge of Christ. And I take it that Paul shares this ambition for us so that in some way we might share that ambition for ourselves as well. Whatever gifts and capacities the Lord gives you and gives us, it will look different to Paul, of course. And as we read through the rest of of Paul's letter, uh, you you kind of don't get the sense that he has this split between uh, super Christian and ordinary Christian. Okay, Uh, you don't get that sense as you read through. Paul, of course, he has a particular role and uh, job to do, Uh, but later on in chapter three, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. Incredible thing that Paul says. He says, "Whatever you do, you ordinary Christian." Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Pretty, you know, that's pretty full on, isn't it? The Colossians, Paul says, were to let the word of Christ dwell in them as they taught and admonished each other. So I don't think we can go down the road of this uh, shrugging our shoulders and just sectioning off what happened to Paul and not letting it impact us. On the other hand, friends, the other danger, I think, is of being uh, sort of so confronted by Paul's example and so so weighed down by it and broken by it because you know you're self-aware enough to know that your own ambitions and dreams should be more Jesus-shaped. But you find yourself so far from that. Uh, You you have other things that have sort of gripped your heart and captured you and that drive you. Well, uh, whether you tend to dismiss Paul or to be <laughs> broken by his example, uh, either way, it seems to me that the answer to, this, to, the, to both is the same. It's Paul's answer. It's him. It's Jesus. 
We have read, gone through this amazing description of Jesus the last couple of weeks, who he is and who we are, if our faith is in him. So friends, uh, wherever you're at, maybe you sort of relate to one of those other things I mentioned, maybe you're in a different place, but uh, wherever you're at, it seems to me that what Paul would want is for you to hear Jesus, to hear the proclamation of Jesus, to desire to grow in maturity in him, to be built up as a body in love. So I, I would like to, friends, just to finish off today uh, by proclaiming Jesus <laughs> to myself and to us as a church family, friends. Everything that is, everything that ever has been, everything that ever will be, every mountain, every ocean, every atom, every person, every authority and government, all of it, everything is all about Jesus. It was all made in him and through him and for him. All of God's fullness, all of God's fullness lives in him. He is God come into this world. He is the risen, supreme and exalted Lord over all things. That's, that is who Jesus is. But there's more. There's more. There's you. This one sees you and knows you. He is the Lord who loved and died for you even when you were his enemy. Cut off from God. Jesus died and rose again to reconcile you to God through your faith in him, through clinging to him, holding out your hands to him. And friends, if, we're not playing games here, right? If that's true, I mean, if it's really true, if that really is who Jesus is, if that really is who we are, then it just makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> it just makes sense for each of us this morning, no matter where we're at, no matter what part we play in this great role of goal of proclaiming Jesus, for each of us, whatever capacity we have, even some of the most incapacitated people, it seems to me, are the most glorious in God's kingdom because they pray. <laughs> Wherever we're at, doesn't it make sense if this is true for us to join with Paul, friends, in making this our joyful ambition for each other and for the world? This is our goal, what, what drives us, friends. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To this end we labour, joyfully struggling with all God's energy which so powerfully works within us. Would you uh, pray with me, friends? 
Father, I pray for each of us here this morning that you might so work in us by your Spirit, take your word, implant it in our hearts. Lord, may this be the fire that lives within us, the thing that drives us. May it be our deep desire as a church family in whatever role we can play to see Jesus proclaimed, to see all people brought to maturity in him, to see hearts encouraged, to see people knit together in love, to see us grow deeper and deeper in our knowledge of this wonderful gospel of Christ. We pray that you'll protect us from all threats. And Lord, in all of this, in whatever suffering may come our way for this great goal, give us the joy of knowing that it is you who work within us. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.